0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.
1: Bless all love you. Glad you came out and you said, well, is this the series on social media? No, <laughs> we're, we're taking a little break, okay? And the reason I'm showing you that is we're going to get into the valley here in a minute on a little war scene. And so the, the video will play out here in a minute, I promise you. Um, We just got back from the men of iron, it's been so rich again this year, God just seems to always bless and I want to say thank you to all our men, we got men that are good men, I'm telling you, great men, actually I was around a pastor yesterday and he said to me, he said, I pray the day when I have men that I get a pastor that not only love me but they honor me the way your men do and so I say thank you guys, it's noticeable and I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to pastor you. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're okay with letting me be me, all right? Because sometimes I, I get out here on the ledge a little bit, I realize that. You know, there's times that things happen with our men, and uh, I, I just want uh, one of them to come and share. Ray, come on up here, and if your son's okay, he can come with you too. If he's not okay with it, it's, it's up to you. Now, come on, there you go, give him a hand. Sometimes I forget that, you know, people aren't always in front of other people like this. And so what you do is you look at the clock. You look right over their head. You don't even see them, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is Ray and his son. Was this your first time? No, this is actually my second. This time. is his second, and this was your son's first time. Tell him what went on. Just just briefly give them a t- With you, and then if if your son wants to talk, I will let him. Okay. If not, you can tell him all about it. Well, um... <laughs>
0: It it's a, it's an experience you cannot. Um, uh, I don't I don't even know where to start. Um, it's just something you cannot experience anywhere else. It's a, a overwhelming feeling that when you get there, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, sometimes pastor says we need an oil change. <laughs> when we get there, we get. I mean, we get oil change, spark plug tuned <laughs> tires rotated. It's the work too. get. Tuned, you get tuned from the inside out, and you come out, you come out a different man. Amen. It's Amen. I'll so. I'll
1: say, it is amazing. i say, i so. say
0: This was my first time going to the Men of Iron Inn. I got the opportunity to meet two new people that I haven't met before: my friend Kenny and my friend Thomas over there. They're really good people. With some really good hearts, my little sister's over there recording me too. <laughs> and uh, I got to say, uh, it really changed me. I've had, uh, I've had a lot of friends in my life, and I don't want to get too emotional up here. Make, oh, make everybody else cry. That's what happened when you get up here. That's the <laughs> anointing coming on here. Yeah, but um, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of friends in my life, but there's nothing like the people from the Men of Iron. Russell, I see you there too, man. You're a good man, dude. Yeah. And uh, I got to say, it really changed me for the weekend. I look forward to coming back to Faith Christian. It's it's a good place for a lot of good people.
1: Thank you, guys. Way to go. We're glad you went. All right. Well, the significance of it all is you see men from age 15 to over 80 worshiping God together. It's just a unique flow of three days. And so, again, I I like to say it this way, that uh, there is no high like the most high. And God will touch your heart. And I believe that for our church, that we just come in here and we keep worshiping God and honoring God. And one of the reasons I wanted Ray to share, especially with his son being with him, that I I know there's a lot of us in this room that have children, sons, daughters, family members that aren't serving God. Don't give up, okay? You keep praying, you keep standing, you keep believing God and trusting God. And, you know, there was one session there where they started saying, Come on, there's ones of you who need to get born again. Come on, come on, come on, come on. They kept on, and men kept funneling down. And I was right there real close in the line. And, you know, I don't know if people thought I was there to get born again. I'm born again. You say, well, I hope so. You're the pastor. But I stand for a son. And again, I never quit praying. And so don't lose faith. You keep praying, okay? God's a good God, All right. Okay, if you got a Bible, or if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Once you get a Bible, go with me to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, and I taught on these lines up there. And again, I want people to be able to get some of the things that took place there. And so I'm going to paraphrase the story this morning of King David when he was fighting with Goliath. And a lot of times in the Old Testament, those stories... They shadow or they typify the very things that took place in Jesus' life. Uh, King David was from Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. King David was the anointed king. Jesus was the anointed king. So you'll see some of this come to play. And uh, just just bear with me here. Let me paraphrase a lot of this that's going on. So David becomes the anointed next king. And when that begins to take place, there's a battle going on in this place called uh, Socho. It's this valley, kind of like what we just saw. And, and on this side of the valley is the Philistines, and on this side is the Israelites. And it's very, very intense. Man, you can tell things are on the verge of really happening. And the Philistines had a, a warrior, a giant named Goliath, who was huge physically. I mean, when you read what the Bible says about him, you understand, I mean, this was a huge figure. And he was very intimidating. And he tried to uh, tempt the, the Israelites. He ridiculed them. He mocked them any way he did. And he was very precise when he did it. That the Bible says for 40 days, morning and night, he would come out. And when he would come out in those mornings and nights, the reason I said he was very strategic about it, was the Israelites would go out every morning and every night, and they said this prayer called the Shema which warranted protection. And so while they're out there praying and calling out to God, this giant would show up. And not only was there—he's there to intimidate him, he was there to disrupt him. He still does those things. When you try to get into a place in your life to pray, he's going to try to disrupt you. He'll try to disrupt you from coming to church. And it's interesting, he doesn't like us when we gather together. You know why? One will put a 1,000 to flee, two will put 10,000. There's power in numbers when we come together. And so he would show up, and he would begin to mock them. So in this time, David's father, his name was Jesse the Bethlehemite, Jesse said to David, you've got to go up to the, the front, and you've got to take your brothers some food and supplies. So David shows up, and his three brothers up there are fighting, and he gives them the food, he greets them, and about that time when he greets them, Goliath shows up. And David sees firsthand what he does. The Bible said that he dismayed them. To me, he talked trash to them. He had them so intimidated and feared that when he dismayed them, they would run and hide. They would be terrified. And when David saw what he did, David said, who does this uncircumcised Philistine think he is that he can mess with the armies of the living God? And so David rose up. David's like, you know what? I'm not going to put up with this stuff. Well, his older brother Eliab got really mad. He got mad at David. And David said to him, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? That typifies the Lord Jesus. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, for this cause, Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of darkness. So Jesus came to this earth with a cause. King David was at that battlefront for a cause, and there's causes all over this auditorium today. You may have a cause here today. Well, guess what? Today you're going to get the opportunity to cut Goliath's head off, okay? And so when David hears all that, it upsets him. Is there not a cause? Well, for 40 days now, King Saul has been looking for a challenger, and none of them will step up to the plate. And so he gets word that we got a fighter. So he comes and says, we got a fighter. And they say, yeah, we got good news, king. We do got a fighter. The bad news is, he's a little redhead, freckle-faced teenager. The message says he had a little peach fuzz on him. And so when King Saul sees him, King Saul discourages him. He tells him, you're not a man of war. You can't fight with this guy. You got to realize he's, he's bad, 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 bad to the bone. He's a warrior you know what King David says to him? Understand this, King. The God who delivered me out of the the mouth and the paw of the bear and the lion, he'll deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. David begins to voice who his God was to him. And so as they begin to approach each other and Goliath realized their opponent, the Bible says that Goliath disdained him. When Goliath saw him, he began to mock him. And he began to try to intimidate him. And he tried to discourage him. Now, this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine. Then David said to the Philistine. One of the main ways that our faith is expressed is through our mouths. And David said said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. David said, that's huge, to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. In other words, you messed with the children of the Most High God. And note in there how David said, I come. I come in the name of the Lord. David fully understood this, that he was going to have to fight. He was going to have to go into battle against the, the, the uh, Goliath, the, the Philistine. But he knew with God on his side, he could do it. See, it's no different than me and you. God gives us the tools, the equipment to walk in victory here. And so David says that to him, and then watch verse 46. So he says, this day, this day, not, not, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year. This day, David set up a divine appointment this day. How many of you in your life put things off to the future? All of us have before. We say, well, you know, I I know God will move someday. God will move, you know, maybe down the line, maybe at Easter. It's interesting. He said, this day. The Lord will deliver you. The word deliver there in the new living says he'll conquer you. He'll cause me to conquer you into my hand. And I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. You know what David does here? He prophesies. He speaks to his future. And note there at the end that he didn't say, the whole earth is going to know that King David is alive. No, he said... They'll know that there's a God in Israel. And see, that's the same way with me and you. When we walk in great victories, understand this, it's, it's God. It's God that gets the glory. Anytime I start giving myself glory, I'm going to get in trouble. But he prophesied there and he said, I'm going to cut your head off. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God himself said this. He said, there's coming one that's going to bruise your head. He's going to strike your head. One translation says he's going to tread on your head. And what God was ultimately doing in Genesis 3, he prophesied about what Jesus would ultimately do to the devil. And so I think about this, that when, when David looked at Goliath and he starts telling him what he's going to do, he said, I'm going to cut your head off. And I believe the more he walked, he began to, I'm, I'm going to cut his head off. I'm going to cut his head off in the name I'm going to cut his head off. He got that on the inside of him. So through the, the paraphrasing of this to speed this up a little, he, he finds five stones and he takes his slingshot out and he shoots that slingshot and the Bible says it sunk right there in his forehead. And Goliath goes down. Hashtag. Another one bites the dust and another one's gone and another. He's gone. He's down. He's down. He's down. Can you imagine what's going on when in the middle of this valley they're all watching this and and in Vegas they're taking odds. I'll give you this odds that there are no way that little redhead's going to win and when he goes down, can you imagine? So we pick up in verse 51. Therefore David ran and he stood over the Philistine. He stood over him and he looked down at him and he's staring at him signifying Dude, you're under my feet. I took care of you. I whipped you. And then look what takes place next. And he took his sword. He disarmed him. And he drew it out of his sheath. He he takes his sword out of his sheath. And it says he kills him. And then you know what he does? Right there in front of both armies, the, the men of God and all the Philistines, it said, he cuts off his head. Now, the other day, I got to cut off his head. Today, we're just going to pretend I cut his head off. I, I can get kind of crazy with these things. <laughs> I mean, they said to me, they said, you kind of enjoyed, like, you look like you enjoyed doing, oh, I had a ball doing it. <laughs> See, when I read these stories, a lot of times, I, I put myself in there. I put myself in the story, Okay? And so when he cut off his head, two great things happened. Now I'm gonna put this down so I don't cut somebody else's head off. Verse 51 at the end. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. All those ones, man, they're they're kicking back, they're drinking their lattes and saying this isn't nothing and nothing. And all of a sudden they look and he's down, and they realize what took place, and they fled. They took off. Verse number 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah, they arose, they got up, and they shouted, and they pursued. Why is that so significant? Well, this was the same guys that just yesterday were a bunch of foxhole Christians. That they were wore out with his intimidation. They were were tore up because he disrupted their lives. And all of a sudden, this one act of the things of God ignited faith within them. See, that's how faith works with every one of us. When you see somebody get set free, when you see someone's life change, don't get mad at that, celebrate it because we serve the same God. And so they got up and they shouted and they began to pursue. Keep reading. They said, pursued the Philistines all the way to those cities, whatever their names are, verse 53. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. They took back things that were stolen. And David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it into Jerusalem. Four times. Verse 46, verse 51, verse 54, verse 57. It references head. So David walks into, the, into Jerusalem. And I understand Jerusalem was way out of his way. Way out of his way. It, it would have been like him going... 14 miles this way instead of this way. He was totally opposite direction from Bethlehem where he lived. But he specifically goes into Jerusalem and he's carrying the head. Why would he do that? I believe he wanted all the the Israelites, all the people of Jerusalem to say, here's the guy that has tormented you. Here's the guy who's intimidated you. Here's the guy who's terrorized, who's disrupted. And he said no more no more so literally to david goliath's head was his trophy now i i'm not a i'm not a hunter but i've been in people's house when they kill trophy animals man they stuff them they put them on the wall how many of you been in a house where there's big old horns up there looking at you Man, i got a friend down there who's got a cabin in rio He's got the craziest animals up there on the walls, and you wake up in the morning, and there's this big mountain lion looking at you and stuff, and you're looking like, Why do they do that? It's a trophy. This is just a side note here. Uh, Sydney's the one who decorated Goliath for me and everything. So she brought Goliath over to the office, and I had him in one of our office rooms one day, and I knew he was there. And I came in last Sunday and there he was. And I looked, I thought, dang, he's on this big mannequin. I thought, We're... and then I realized that's a, that's a mannequin. Well, one of our, our uh, security men here in the church, I forgot to tell him he was over there. <laughs> and he said, Pastor, that dude in that office over there, he about took two bullets to the chest. And so I thought, man, i got to get Goliath out of that room. So I put him in my office. And in my office, I have these two big chairs for when I counsel. Well, I put him in between the two big chairs. And I came in Monday morning, and there he was again. I thought, oh my gosh, i got to get him out of there. So to get Goliath to Riodosa, I put him in my little car with me. And they said, Pastor, I pray you don't get pulled over. You're going to have a hard time explaining that one. Okay, let me me refocus here. Where are we at? I get it sidetracked a little bit. So, he does this over and over again. And he's wanting all of us to get a picture. A picture in our hearts. You don't have to put up with Goliath anymore. How does that pertain to the Lord Jesus? Well... In Colossians 2, verse 15, it says that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of him. He made a bold display of all the devils and the demons in hell. And when you study the story of Jesus, that when he died on the cross and he went to hell for those few days, which he did, that while he was there, he took on every form of darkness And when he would defeat him, he would look at you and say, Death, you're under my feet. Sickness, you're under my feet. Fear, you're under my feet. So we pick up now in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1. Go with me there. And I want you to see firsthand here in the New Testament some of these things that, that shadow what we just read. I'm going to go to Ephesians 1, and then we'll ultimately get to Revelation 12. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, this was the apostle Paul saying this. That's why I tell you, don't, don't give up praying on family members. Keep praying for them, okay? Keep praying for them. Praying Samuels are a result of praying Hannah's. What do you mean by that? I could take you back in the Old Testament. And there was a woman of God named Hannah. And she literally prayed for her son Samuel. How many of you in this room realize you're probably here today because you had a mother or grandmother? Somebody pray for you. I could lay up here and get all my paws up, my hands up, all my feet, everything. Because I had a mother that would pray and pray and pray and pray. Actually, she goes to the Men of Iron every year, and she stays in a hotel room and prays for her two sons that we don't do anything stupid. Thank God. Even in my 50s, I still got a mom that prays. Don't give up on your prayers, mamas and daddies. Don't quit, okay? Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom. What is wisdom? It's practical, workable principles. Now, if you'll pay real close attention here in verse 17, this is a prayer that we can pray over our own lives. You can ask God to fill you with wisdom. So he said, first of all, I pray that you give me the spirit of wisdom and give me the spirit of revelation. What's revelation? It it refers to a clear perception and applicable understanding of the Bible. I ought to pray that every day. And so he says the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, and the spirit of knowledge in him. And so this is what the Holy Spirit begins to do. He begins to help me. He begins to enlighten the word of God. Verse number 19. 19. 18. And that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. He's talking about your spiritual eyes. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. As a Christian, as a man or woman of God, you've got an inheritance. But inheritance doesn't do me no good unless I know what it is. And so he says, Pray that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. You can pray that. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. You know why Christ is seated at right hand of Father? You don't sit down until the job's done. It says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Remember Jesus' last words on the cross? He said, it is finished. The plan of redemption for me and you. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 20, 21, far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the name which is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him Jesus to be the head over all things to the church. Who's the church? What a question. He said he put all things under his feet. What were principalities and powers? These were these fallen angels that were cast out of heaven. And he said. He put them all under his feet. All of them. For the church. Who's the church? It's not this building. The church is me and you. How does that take place? Well. In Matthew 16, Jesus has his disciples together, and he said, Fellas, who who do men say that I am? And they said, Some say you're a prophet, some say you're a priest, some say you're John the Baptist. And then Jesus looks back and says, But who do you say I am? But who do you say I am? Now, I'm going to get a little personal here. I'm going to get in your closet space right now. Who do you say is? I didn't ask who does your mama say he is or your gra- Who do you say he is? Because again, there's not going to be grandchildren in heaven. There's just going to be children. And so Peter responds and says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you. But listen, listen to what he says. And he said, and I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Against my church. Now here's what's interesting with all that. At the end of King David's life, he says to Father God, he said, Lord, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you a church. And you know what God says to him? God said, you can't do it, David, because you shed too much blood. So I'm going to let your son Solomon build me a temple. So when we read that and we study that, we understand that Solomon did build him a temple. He did do it in a physical realm. But listen to this thought. In Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, it talks about the genealogy of Jesus. And it says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, or the family tree line of Jesus Christ, that he came through the seed of David. This was talking about Jesus. He is of the seed of David. John 7.45 said, he is from Bethlehem and the seed of David. And so the Lord Jesus, he comes from the seed of David, But yet many times when we look where he said, I want to build you a temple. We just think of that physical one. But when Jesus comes on the scene, it's more of a spiritual deal. And Jesus said, and the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. This is Matthew 16, 19. And I give you the keys of the kingdom. So what Jesus does is all the authority he took from the devil... He got the keys. You got the keys. You got the authority. With this key right here, it has the ability to lock and to unlock. So Jesus says this to us, Matthew sixteen nineteen: I give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So the word loose and bind right there are legal terms. And so Jesus is telling me and you, I've given you power. I've given you authority in my name. And when you begin to loosen to bind right here on the earth, it gives Father God legal right to move in your life. And your prayers are powerful. Your words are powerful. Now go with me to Revelations 12. We're going to start wrapping this up a little bit. You're getting ready to get really blessed. okay? Revelations 12 verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Now salvation. Now salvation. Now. Not next week. Not when we get to heaven. Now. So pastor is that telling me that I could receive salvation now? That's exactly what it said. And he said. Now, strength. Now. And now the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. So right here in in the scriptures it tells us we can have salvation. We can operate in strength, power, and dominion. And it's all wrapped up in the name of Jesus. You know what he just told me? Everything I need on this earth. Is in the name of Jesus. Everything. So then it gets real interesting what he says next. For the accuser of our brethren. The devil. Who accuses the brethren. Me and you the church. Who accuse them before our God. Day and night. Now this goes back to the story. Remember that Goliath would show up. Morning and night. And what his goal was, was to disrupt. And so the devil right here, the accuser of the brethren, he goes before God day and night, and he begins to accuse us. And he'll tell the devil, well, they've, they've fallen short here, they've sinned, they've done this, they've done that, and he goes on and on and on and on. And he keeps bombarding Father God with what me and you've done. But look at the last part there, verse 10. He says, but he's been cast down. But he's been cast down. Remember when old Goliath started messing with, he was cast down. And that's what the Lord is telling us. Even the devil has been cast down. Now look how he ends here in verse 11. And they, the brethren, the church, the believers, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. So when you, when you read this, the blood of Jesus answers all charges that are brought against you. The blood of Jesus satisfies all the accusations. And they overcame by the word of their testimony. When you get born again, the blood of Jesus washes you from sin. That's how you start. But you know how you keep going? You know how the word of your testimony comes true? You keep living under the blood. You keep every day. And so my life starts with the blood of Jesus, and my life is going to end with the blood of Jesus. How does that look, Pastor? I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your blood right now is washing me from all unrighteousness. I thank you today that your blood marks me as an overcomer. And so right there in in Revelations 12, 11, where it says they overcame by the blood, the Amplified says for the word uh, overcame, it said... They conquer by the blood of the Lamb. I can walk in an area of conquering by the blood of Jesus. And so when you look at all this stuff, I believe that many times in our lives, we've put up with the Goliath way longer than we ever should have. And many times we get intimidated. And many times we we allow him to dominate us in areas of our life when even David said to him really basically, no more. No more. You don't have to be in fear anymore. And so now this plays into effect with the blood of Jesus. And so I don't know where you're at today, but understand this. You're an overcomer by the blood. That it will create faith in you when you start living under that blood and you realize, you know what? The blood satisfies all charges. The blood is a game changer for every one of us. Hebrews 11.1 one says this, Now. Now, 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 faith is the set things. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, let me ask you today. Are there areas in your life where you've sensed he's bullied you? Are there areas in your life that, man, it just causes you to fear? Are there areas in your life where man, he's dominating this? Are there areas in your life... Where he's convinced you to give up, to quit. See, that's what he does, but guess what? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Thank
0: you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.